Welcome to Britt David Podcast, as Pastor Tim brings us a message today entitled, Was the Day Before Christmas, from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This sermon was preached on Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas. Have you ever given thought to what the world was like on the first Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas? For us, it is a day of great expectations, but for the people in Bethlehem, it would have been a day filled with busy activities and little room for thinking about spiritual things. Here's Pastor Tim. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter 2. It was the day before Christmas and the world was a mess. Murderies, thefts, adulteries, treachery and the rest. Sin was so rampant you could cut it with a knife. Hopelessness and death was all that was offered in life. Every day was the same, bleak with despair, till people cried out, isn't there help anywhere? When over in Israel there arose such a clatter, the devil leapt up in hell to see what was the matter. A carpenter and his wife traveled slowly down the road, on their way to Bethlehem just as it had been told. The young woman was pregnant with the world's Savior, you see, and the devil knew he was defeated as sure as can be. Oh, Satan tried to stop it with ways various and assorted, but God's plan to save poor sinners could not at all be thwarted. The people of the world are still in very grave danger, but hope can be found in the cloth-wrapped babe in the manger. The day before Christmas is special for us. It's Christmas Eve. It's the day of great anticipation. Anticipation of Santa coming at night. Anticipation of gifts. Anticipation of family. Anticipation of all sorts of things that go with modern day Christmas. But the day before the first Christmas was not like that at all. It wasn't a day of anticipation. It was not a day of excitement. It was an ordinary day. In fact, as ordinary as it can be with the hustle and bustle, not of Christmas shopping and not of carolers, but the hustle and bustle of trying to fulfill the government's responsibilities. It was a day that was just as dry and just as sorrow-filled as every day had been before, especially in Israel, and especially since the Roman occupation. People believed, some believed that a Messiah would come, that someday somebody would come and rescue them from Rome. And year after year went by and nobody came. And then when he did come, they didn't even recognize him. Sometimes when we come to Luke chapter number 2, we rush through the first few verses because we want to get down to verses like, like verse number 7. You know, they laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. We like to get down to that part of the story. But I want to draw your attention today to these first few verses. If you will, look with me at verse number 1. And I would tell you this if you're following along in your notes. On the day before Christmas, 
The crown thought it was in control. The crown thought it was in control. Do you notice how Luke begins? He begins with this historic placement of the story. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. You see, both today and back then and even prior, the governments of this world have always thought that they are in control. That they're in control of their people and they're in control of society and they're in control even sometimes of God Himself. This whole episode of the census being taken, which provides Mary and Joseph with the reason to be in Bethlehem so that Jesus can be born according to the Scriptures. Caesar Augustus, Quirinius, Herod the Great, they all thought that this was their idea. They thought that they were in control. That they were going to be the ones to dictate how the next day went and the next few years went. They had no idea how loose their control really was. In 1917, when the revolt against the Bolsheviks rose up, two years later in 1919, communism got its start in Russia. According to Karl Marx and his Communist Manifesto, he said, Communism begins where atheism begins. And so began the routing of churches, the routing of Christianity, and according to Karl Marx, to negate the very existence of God Himself from the minds of their people. So how did they do that? First, they begin to shutter the doors at church to make it difficult for people to come to church and to gather together. They began to require of the preachers that they preach certain messages. They begin to make it difficult for people to find time to worship. When the preachers didn't preach what was asked of them, many were arrested and many were killed. Suddenly the doors of those churches were shut all together and began to be made into, they called them, museums of atheism. They would post pictures of the horrendous things that Christianity had done throughout all of the years to help people understand that they didn't need Jesus. They didn't need God. They didn't need their church. When Stalin succeeded Lenin. History says that he accelerated the violence that Lenin had began. He began to enforce what he referred to as militant atheism. And they got on board too. By 1928, they began what was referred to as the godless five-year plan. Take away the churches, Take away people's accessibility. And so the churches became museums. The Bibles became outlawed. And the preachers were simply arrested or murdered. What began to take place, however, was not an elimination of God from their day-to-day life as what 
Stalin intended, but to begin a new and a fresh, a, a missionary effort to take the gospel back into those places in Russia. How did they respond in 1929? Russia issued their own calendar, a calendar that would not follow the rest of the world. It's not based on a seven-day week, certainly nothing to celebrate creation. It was a five-day week, a Monday through Friday, that highlighted labor and highlighted work. It eliminated Jews and Christians' days of worship. If they were going to worship, they would make it as hard and as difficult as possible. The crown has always thought that it could control what God was going to do. But at one time, the greatest place that the church of Jesus Christ was growing across this world was Russia, soon followed by China. Isn't it interesting that the places where the gospel is under the thumb of the government, it seems to thrive. But in the land of the free and the home of the brave, we find ourselves not quite as free and not quite as brave. And we yield. We yield to our government. We give up our rights as believers. Do you remember when Pat Robertson ran for president? The very first thing that he did was to give back his ordination. Why? Because people said, you can't be an ordained minister and be the president of the United States. So instead of moving our people closer to the Lord, our government administration after administration seems to want to push us farther away from the Lord to continually edge Him out so that not only is there no room in the inn, there's no room in America. Not for free speech, not for worship, and not for Christ. It's really trying to take people back to the day before Christmas. The day before that first Christmas, there was no Christ here yet. The day before Christmas, there was no hope. And when the crown is in charge, that's what the people get. On the day before Christmas, the crown thought it was in charge. Number two, on the day before Christmas, the culture thought it was in control. Keep reading with me. Verse number 3. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, or the city of his family, the city of his birth, so to speak, the birth of his family clan. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So we understand that the government then has 
made this announcement. You are to return to your city, your city of beginnings, and there you're to be registered like a census. We're to take a census of all the people, and we want to make sure that you're back in your own hometown. It's a way of trying to control them, isn't it? But people just went along with it. They went right back to their cities. Bethlehem, a little, a little town, a little village that may have had a couple of hundred people who lived there suddenly swells to thousands of people because of their connection with David. Not only do they need to be in that city, they want to be in that city. They want to be identified with David. They want some privilege administered towards their own family. So the culture finds itself moving in that direction. But there's something else here that I want you to see about the culture that's the same then that it is today. Joseph is required by this pronouncement to go to Bethlehem. Mary is not. Mary is, we would assume at this point, that she is nine months pregnant. Who's going to make that 90-mile journey? That journey of days and days that are difficult when you're nine months pregnant. Why wouldn't Joseph just simply say, Mary, you stay here. I'm going to go get registered. And I'll be back just as soon as possible. Why does she go with him? Why do they stay? You know, despite what our, many of our nativity scenes look like, you know as well as I know that the kings weren't there that day that Jesus was born. They didn't come for another two years. But yet, where did they find Mary and Joseph and the little toddler Jesus? They find them in Bethlehem. They've set up roots there. Joseph has begun his own carpenter shop there in Bethlehem. While in all likelihood many of the people have gone back to their normal homes, Mary and Joseph stay. Why do they do that? Well, think back to Mary. When she first gets the announcement from the angel that she is pregnant with child, this child is going to be the savior of the world. She says to this angel, how can these things be since I've never known a man? The angel simply says, with God all things are possible, right? He says, this child which is to be born in you will be the savior of the world. And she yields to his will. She allows herself to be used in that capacity. Joseph has to get a dream too, doesn't he? Mary is with child. What do you think Joseph thinks? Until he gets a message from heaven. That child which is to be born in her is of the Holy Spirit. You are going to marry her. And you are going to raise this child. He is Emmanuel, the Son of God. 
And Joseph obeys. That doesn't stop the whispering, does it? Why do you think that Mary, as soon as she finds out that she's pregnant by that angel, why does she leave home to go find comfort with Elizabeth, her cousin? I would say that life at home is not comfortable anymore. It's a part of the culture. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Twas the day before Christmas. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.